Hi, this is Wes Simpson. I'm contributing editor for TV Technology Magazine and founder of LearnIPVideo.com. I'm here today representing TV Technology and providing one of our updates on remote production. This is the third in a series of three uh, sessions that we've had. And the time now is to really focus a little bit more on the future. We've spent a lot of time talking about how people uh, reacted in the past and, and some of the, the changes that they think have been uh, happening. But for this panel discussion, I really want to see if we can focus on some of the changes that are going to be long lasting, the things that are really going to impact the industry over the next uh, three to five years or however far out our panelists want to take a look. So speaking of panelists, I'm really happy to introduce First of all, Jim Jaquetta, who is CTO and co-founder of Vidovation. Hi, Jim. Hey, Wes. How's it going? Great. Um, also, Ian Main, who's the technical marketing principal for Teradigi. Hi, Wes. Pleased to meet you. Nice to meet you, Ian. Um, we also have Richard Dominach, uh, director of product management for Raritan. Hey there, Wes. Hello, everybody. And last but not least, Robert Erickson. Strategic Account Manager for Sports and Venues at Grass Valley. Welcome, Robert. Hello, sir. All right, so um, one of the things that is really interesting to me, and I think has been a trend in the industry, is that we've um, completely changed the meaning of um, what we were talking about for many years now called at-home production. And before we were talking about at-home as maybe remoting a venue back to a production facility. But come March of 2020, we started literally talking about people producing live events at home, at their homes. So Jim, how did your business and how did your customers react to that change of circumstances? Well, that's a great question, Wes. Um, for our business, we really didn't change anything. We didn't really have to innovate our product or our offering. Uh, we've been promoting uh, the at-home or Remy, whatever you might call it, production uh, model for more than five years. Uh, the first uh, type of event we did, uh, and we've kind of established a, a niche for ourselves, is live reality TV. So the, the first major production we did is uh, this live PD uh, uh, cop show. Um, for political reasons, that show now has been put on hiatus and they're doing a live rescue show with fire department and EMTs. Uh, so in this show, it's very challenging. You know, we're, we're using a bonded cellular technology from one of our partners, Abby West. And one of the, the big challenges doing an at-home production or multi-camera at-home production is maintaining uh, frame anchor, gen lock, and lip sync across multiple cameras. And uh, the live PD show on, uh, and the live rescue show, we deploy uh, 45, 50 cameras on a given uh, Friday or Saturday night. Now, not all the cameras are in the same city or the same location, but as many as eight cameras and eight sets of microphones are all open in close proximity. Then about a year ago, we did our first event with the PGA. Uh, we did an event in the Caribbean and the PGA was blown away. Uh, the PGA, like most at-home production uh, events, 
you know, use the truck and for the handheld wireless cameras, they use microwave uh, uh, wireless. And all, if not most of the microwave stuff that's out there is still using H.264. So the PGA was like, wow, we're, we're doing this for like uh, a tenth of the cost. Um, the Abbey West Vidovation Solution has this amazing HEVC codec. The show actually looks better. So, uh, um, um, so we've proven that you can do um, a full production, uh, you know, sports or broadcast event uh, using an unmanaged network like cellular and or the public internet and keep that gen lock. Um, that, that, that's the key for us. So have you had a uh, change in, you know, how that equipment works or how customers are using your equipment uh, in 2020 since, since the uh, lockdowns began in March? Yeah, that, that's a great, that's a great question, Wes. Um, we've done, um, in, in Hollywood, early on, the networks and production companies were desperate to generate any kind of content, uh, uh, any kind of live content. So uh, I would say these would be smaller productions. We had a couple of celebrity uh, little shows that they did where, you know, cutting a celebrity's hair at home you know, doing it live. And just because you have a $5 million house in Calabasas doesn't mean you get good internet connection. Uh, uh, Cal I, we learned this the hard way. Calabasas is notorious for very poor internet connectivity to the home and, and, and very poor cellular. So for these types of events, that usually the, the, the talent, uh, they don't want a technician coming in. They don't want a, a crew coming into their house. They don't, wanna, they don't want any strangers so some of these production companies will, will they'll make like a little flyaway suitcase. So hidden in there is our bonded cellular, and our, our bonded cellular has a, a relatively new feature, where we make a, a secure VPN connection from the studio to the field, and the assets in the field can actually be on the same subnet as assets in the studio. So a camera operator can um, have the PTZ controller. Uh, back in the studio, back in the control room, and the bonded cellular unit in a little suitcase with a PTZ camera, that's sent to the talent. All they have to do is plug it in. They don't even have to point it. Well, you're assuming the camera will go 360 degrees. Just put the, the, the suitcase in front of you. Someone will frame the shot, and they just do the whole show remotely. And because of the cellular, uh, uh, the, the robustness of our cellular solution, we're able to do a show where you normally couldn't do a show. So that, that's, that's something new for us. So Robert, you, you've been heavily involved in the uh, sports arena and obviously uh, the whole nature of uh, sports has changed over the past uh, eight months. Uh, what is, what's been your experience? Uh, it's all the details. Um, you know, Jim makes a really good point about you can't guarantee uh, good bandwidth in Calabasas. And I think we can take the next step forward is you really can't guarantee good uh, internet almost anywhere um, from at-home connections. Um, you know, on the, on the quick lessons learned thing, you know, we're, we're finding as we're doing these remote productions that anybody at home, you know, like literally at home working from their, their house or their apartment or their condo um, is usually uh, beholden to a service level agreement from their ISP that is awful. So, 
having a solution that is able to accommodate um, you know things like FEC or ARQ in terms of the air control, having flexible codecs, whether it's you know HEVC or H.264, is really important because you know some of these connections are really really bursty. You know, you might get 40 megabit up sometimes. Sometimes you might get three megabit up. You know, VM will have a, a solutions that can accommodate that is a big thing. But what we've found is one of the biggest challenges of doing at-home productions is getting the content to the home so people can make the creative decisions. You know, well, what does that mean? Well, if I got 16 cameras coming around from all over the world, but my TD is working from home, how do I get all 16 of those images to the house? You know, the traditional methods of taking an output of a multi-viewer, slamming that into an H.264 encoder don't work because once you start hitting, you know, frame-based encoders or even worse than frame-based, you know, IP or B-frame encoders where you have multiple frames of delay, to do switching of live content through that multi-viewer is way too high a delay. So, you know, how can we get the data, get the video to the home um, with a lower delay. And that becomes obviously a much bigger topic. You know, at Grass Valley, what we're able to do is we're able to create multi-viewers um, in AWS and Azure um, that have, um, you know, 60 to 90 milliseconds of delay. Well, that's within the couple frame delay that human eyeball can still not perceive in. So that allows us to have a very low delay multi-viewer. So if somebody's using a Grass Valley switcher or a Grass Valley control panel from home, but the switcher is a thousand miles away or 500 miles away, uh, that the multi-viewer supports it. And that's part of our AMP product, part of our Grass Valley Media Universe uh, that allows us to take kind of traditional hardware environments. Because a lot of our customers, especially with sport, not having people in the stadiums or not having quite the eyeballs they used to have over television, have the budgets right now to just go buy all new gear for everything. You know, so how can we make a hybrid environment where I use the hardware assets that I already have, like the Grass Valley switchers I have, the Grass Valley cameras I have, and so forth, and wrap that up into a, with a software-based um, abstraction layer that allows us to be able to control those assets from anywhere, to see those assets from anywhere. And that's been the biggest challenge. That's also been uh, the biggest uh, plus uh, for us, is to be able to mix and match these uh, different environments between a hardware solution, software solution, and even in a, in a hybrid solution. So there's a lot of challenges, and I know we're going to be talking about some of these later on uh, that come in um, with doing these productions. I'm glad Jim brought up the um, the challenges that we have of just getting stuff to the home. Um, but a lot of this is all in the details. It's how do you stitch together an entire workflow from the second a photon hits the camera all the way till the output of the switcher and the output of the audio console. Being able to chart that and design that and work around that's really the hardest part. It sounds like you've uh, had to overcome some pretty interesting challenges. So, so Richard, um, at Raritan, you folks are not traditionally in the in the broadcast arena, but um, I think you guys have something really valuable to add into this uh, whole mix of technologies. Sure. Um, thanks. Um, thanks, Wes. Yes, we're a, a broadline supplier. So, and we're probably a little better known in the um, IT space, but actually we've been uh, supporting broadcast customers probably for over uh, 20 years. We've had our, our Paragon system in the 80s that was used by, by many um, broadcast customers over the years. And we've kind of worked from, uh, from there. So we do support um, the broadcast industry. So for us, what we do is give you IP-based remote management of software applications. 
And we can do this over a, a LAN, a WAN, or even the, uh, even the internet. And we've kind of um, tuned our tools over the years to work over a variety of different, uh, different networks. I mean, it works best over a high-speed LAN, but we have different types of configuration that you can do to, to work effectively over a WAN or even um, working from home. So we have a variety of different IP-based tools and KVM switches that allow you to do that um, at different performance levels and also at different, um, different price points. We also have a user station, right, that's, that's uh, mostly used in a control room or a, uh, or a studio. So your tech, your operator can, can sit there, work with the user station, work across multiple uh, monitors, and you could be accessing literally 20 different types of programs and then have access to hundreds of, uh, of different programs. So that's typically what use, people use when they're in the uh, control room right, type um, situation, mm -hmm. but we also offer access via laptop or, or via PC. So for example, IT people can be accessing um, those systems and those programs and maintaining them as well as uh, broadcast engineering. So typically um, at home access over the internet or over a VPN is something that we've, uh, offered, but more in terms of emergency access. But given the pandemic, right, people would use that same capability when, they, when they're working from, um, from home. So we've seen quite an uptick of people using our, um, our products in the pandemic, and hopefully that's allowed them to see what's, what's possible, right, in an emergency situation, but also understand what they can do in the um, in the future right in more of a planned control way to change their workflow to change how their staff um, you know works at different locations great so Ian um, tell us a little bit about um, what what you folks are doing at Teradici and um, I'm, I'm particularly interested in uh, the cloud perspective yeah, absolutely. I mean, Wes, we had sort of two classes of customers here. We had our traditional visual effects, post-production editorial companies who using virtual workstations, uh, typically on premises. So they were already remote to some extent using high quality networks, low latency, and they were already using part of what we had to offer. Um, uh, in conjunction with some connection management, but of course the pandemic for those, uh, gave them an opportunity to accelerate stuff they'd already been thinking about, which was at least getting that orchestration of their work stops going, so, uh, workstations going. So that happened at a really high speed. We have a product called uh, Cloud Access Software, which is our, our remote uh, workstation, remote desktop product, in conjunction with a, a product called Cloud Access Manager, which is the orchestration of your workstations wherever they may be. So it's a hybrid multi-cloud uh, orchestration layer for your editorial workstation. So, you know, your Avid or your Adobe Premiere station. So we had a whole bunch of our post-production companies and broadcast companies just accelerating their migration so that they could have a, 
PCOIP connection without a VPN right into their home and they could take home either their zero clients they were used to or start working with their Macs or laptops or whatever they were used to. But uh, you mentioned cloud and this is where we, you know, we have another emergency for all sorts of companies who weren't set up for that remote and virtual workstation. And, you know, so that we had this big wave of companies who just were used to having workstations under their desks. And so we, we set up both that ability to access all different types of NVIDIA or AMD workstations. Um, but we also have a longstanding relationship with uh, Azure, uh, GCP, and uh, the AWS team where, you know, our product is as virtual workstation sits in all of those clouds. So in all three cases, uh, you know, the broadcast studios or VFX houses are aligned with one or more cloud vendors. So they were able to uh, take on these virtual workstations with their most convenient cloud service provider, typically with, you know, whatever was closest to them, um, add this management layer, which is already in place for them on-prem and now extend those out to the public cloud so they could have users accessing virtual workstations directly or, or continuing back into their broadcast infrastructure. So you get this really nice uh, opportunity to mix and match your uh, assets. And I think this is, I mean, we'll talk about this later, an ongoing uh, migration, if you will. But in the short term, people were just grabbing assets. You know, the price of virtual workstations was secondary just to getting a secure, high-performance access. Um, I think... Uh, Robert was talking a bit about latency. Of course, that was critical in terms of expectations. You know, people were working at one or two milliseconds uh, latency to a local workstation. Now they're up to whatever their ISP link is, so 10 or 20, even 50 or 100, depending on what they're doing. So there's an expectations aspect there that we can probably talk about. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, so one of the, the questions that always comes to broadcasters' minds during any kind of discussion that has anything to do with the cloud is, is security. So, you know, for anybody, any one of you four gentlemen, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Is that something that uh, we as an industry have properly addressed or are there some, some big uh, hurdles that we need to overcome to, to really have secure workflows for this very expensive content that we're managing? I can speak to just the post-production part or that, you know, the, the, Editing all the way through to post-production. Teradici's technology has been used by the big uh, movie producers and movie houses for many years. Um, you know, an encrypted protocol end-to-end. -end, um, typically was on-premises or dark site facilities. You know, our products deployed in government security, uh, those sorts of customers too. Um, extending to the cloud, I think, is a, an educational component, as well as some exciting architectural changes in zero trust and the need to um, authenticate people as well as devices. I think some of these are industry trends driven in, the, in some industries like the trusted partner network, CDSA and MPAA and movie industry. I think the broadcast industry will be taking on some of these constructs. Uh, and then there's an education of locking down the cloud. I think it's typically around the policing that is not set up, which would uh, allow gaps in security rather than the actual technologies themselves. So um, in our case, we're, we're used, um, you know, across many, many verticals and we're heavily used in the government and also military um, systems. So we've evolved our products over time 
for um, different types of, uh, of, of security and followed some of the, uh, you know, U.S. standards um, for that in terms of, you know, military grade um, encryption. Um, there are some new, new standards um, coming out and we're also seeing a lot of requests for two-factor authentication, right? Because obviously, you know, login and password is not, uh, you know, is not acceptable uh, enough. The other thing that we're, uh, we're seeing is some of the old, older protocols that we've used, right? Um, in terms of SSL for web-based applications or no, no longer um, considered secure. So it's kind of a continuous, um, say, struggle or, or challenge keeping keeping up with all of this, right? Keeping up with the latest in um, in security, making changes, moving to the next secure uh, protocols, and supporting the needs of our our, our customers. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, I. From our broadcast customers, we don't get uh, kind of um, you know the um, the request for for security that that we see from say government or or military or or financial. But you know we are being driven by those um, by those industries to uh, you know upgrade our our products and our, our methods, and then you know everybody can um, can benefit from that. So I'd like to pivot a little bit and talk talk about the concept of uh, timing and synchronization and delay, because I know a lot of people have to deal with those circumstances in a lot of current productions, and especially in a, in a live production, those things can be, uh, can be a killer. So uh, Jim, did you want to uh, dig into that yeah. a little bit deeper? That's a great question, Wes. I, I think um, in, in my... Uh... Uh, uh, in the early days of precision timing protocol, I, I may actually have learned the, uh, the basics from you, Wes, um, you know, um, but, um, you know, we get asked a lot, of, a lot, like, well, why is it that Vitovation and their partner, Abby West, why, how is it that you're able to maintain this magical gen lock? How, how are you, how are you keeping multiple cameras, uh, synchronous, uh, uh, Abby West uses a transport protocol of their own. It's proprietary. They call it the Safe Streams Transport or SST for short. And, and you know, there's a control mechanism. Um, um, everything is, you know, I, I think Robert, you had mentioned, or Ian, uh, there, there's forward error correction, there's ARQ. It's adaptive bit rate, like, like Robert mentioned. Um, you know, mm -hmm. you don't know if you have 40 megs one second or, or three megs. Uh, throughput the next second. So you need a, a solution that can, can, can uh, uh, adapt to those changes. And what, what the, the benefit of bonded cellular, you know, you, you, in the field, you have two very good clock references, uh, either from the cellular network or, or GPS. It's very common to have GPS. So you, you, you pretty much have a very, uh, you know, within a few hundredths of a second, uh, uh, a reference that's in sync with the studio and the encoder, but that doesn't get you down to the frame level. Um, and as we all know, you know, precision timing protocol won't work over an unmanaged network like the public internet or cellular, but I believe Abby West is using similar techniques. Their, their receiver, which they call 
the stream hub uh, is acting like the master clock. And then reference signals are sent back and forth, differentiate single signals, error signals. So they, they, they get the timing really, really close. And then because the product also has frame synchronizers built into its outputs, uh, if the final uh, product is a, a frame off, that can be fixed with frame syncs but also keeping mind of where the audio is. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, um, I don't know all the secrets and I don't know if Abby West would want me to share all the, the secret <laughs> ingredients, but at the end of the day, uh, the, the, the video and the audio is very, is very spot on. And, and you watch uh, golf, um, um, you know, the show would be unwatchable. You'd hear, you know, you'd hear whoosh, whoosh. You'd, you'd, you'd hear multiple swings of the club um, you know, you, you'd, uh, you can't in a live production, you can't fix anything in post. You, right. you don't have a post. It, it goes out live. If it, if it, uh, arrives out of sync, you can't fix it. You can't repair it. Robert, have you encountered similar circumstances? Yeah, uh, quite a bit. And I think when you model a, a, a end to end remote production solution, it gets really, really complicated. You know, Jim and I were already have already talked about how just getting sources from your the source position, wherever it happens to be, into the data center to your switch timing plane um, is part of the equation. Um, but there's so much more to it because timing is aggregate as it goes. You know, delay is aggregate as you go. So maybe you have a frame of delay or two frames of delay at source capture. And then you have a frame of delay or hopefully less at media processing, like whether it's going through a video switcher, whether it's software or hardware. And then you have a more delay added on by multi-viewing and then more delay added on by any kind of normalization you do at the at the back end um, after it's been switched. So for us, what we've found is a millisecond here, millisecond there, or 20 milliseconds here, or 20 milliseconds there adds up to potentially seconds um, at the end. So for us, being able to model what the determinism is or the delay is for the system is really important. You know, if we're going over a, you know, a, a 2110 pipe over a LAN, we know that it's going to be sub-line delay. But we know that if we're going to a home to somebody's cable modem, we're adding FEC and ARQ, and if it's low bandwidth, ATVC, which means that we're going to have a ton of delay added to that. Um, so understanding that is important. But I think Jim also made us some really good points about what we can do now with timestamps and what we can do now with um, being able to track time as it goes through. Because for the most part now, accurate time is ubiquitous. You know, whether it's NTP, which isn't quite accurate enough for our use, but pretty dang close, or simply 2059, PTP, you got AAA 1588, whichever standard you want to go off of, almost everybody has that now in most of their, in their source devices. So uh, Grass Valley's part of our AMP problem, our AMP solution is solving that problem. And it's how can we intelligently track timing and how can we intelligently correct that timing? Uh, for example, you know, what's the, the possibility of us time stamping every packet, regardless of where it starts as a source, compare that to where we receive it on the switch plane and be able to automatically adjust that time delay as, as, as we need to. Because Jim brings up a really good point is, you know, if you bring in sources from five or six different locations with five or six different codecs, with five or six different types of um, internet bandwidths, you're going to have potentially seconds if you have one of those encoders is, you know, IP and B frames down to subframe if you're doing something like JPEG XS. So 
one of the biggest challenge is, challenges is timing. How can you intelligently manage all of those um, delays as it goes through the system and then continue tracking it as it goes through the switching plane and as it goes through the processing plane and that kind of stuff. So that's what Grass Valley has been spending a lot of time with in our Grass Valley Media Universe and in our AMP platform. And for us, it's intelligent media or intelligent, intelligent timing. Um, that's what you get with the whole Grass Valley solution. But even if you do a, a solution where you're just taking bits and parts from other vendors, it's still something that's really, really important. And honestly, one of the biggest challenges you have to address. Well, thanks. So I, I'd like you gentlemen all to put on your uh, your forecasting hats for a minute, get out your crystal balls, whatever you want to call it. And you know, tell me, what do you see that's changed already in 2020? I mean, we're, we're, we're in the last quarter of the uh, year last month of the year. What's going to happen uh, going forward in early 2021 and, and beyond? What kinds of uh, new technologies, new solutions do you think your companies are going to have to uh, bring to market in order to you know, meet this changing production environment? And maybe I'll start with you, Richard. You know, for, for us, we've been providing remote management products for over for over 30 years so it's it's not something that's that's new to us so I was really heartwarming to see you know that people could could make use of what we uh, what we developed so it's it's uh, it's not so much that that we came out with with new solutions but we kind of had the uh, we had the solutions there for for people to uh, people to use and people, you know, needed them more than, uh, more than ever. Uh, but we have had some uh, new things that we've come out with uh, last year and this year that I think have been very, very helpful to, uh, to people. And, uh, you know, our, our kind of control room customers have been pushing us um, very hard in terms of our, our user station product, right? That an operator or, or a tech would use in a, a studio or a, or a lab, right? So we've we've increased what that product can do. And in the past, it was using our KVM switches and KVM um, connections to different software systems that they were using. And then people also wanted things like RDP access to certain systems, VNC, SSH, use of virtual machines, web browser access. So we added that all in. So now it's not just KVM sessions. You can get this other type of, of access to other, um, you know, other different programs that, that are... Uh, that are out there, giving you kind of your own mini mini control room at your uh, at your desk. The other thing we came out with is uh, is a higher powered user station that was more powerful, could support more sessions, and could support up to three connected monitors. And then that wasn't enough for people; they wanted four, or they wanted six, or they wanted the ability to use nine monitors for all the programs that they were. Uh, that they were working on. So our engineers came up with a way to chain together user stations such that with a single keyboard and mouse, you could, you could kind of seamlessly move across the user stations and support up to 45, not that anyone would do that, but up to 45 different, um, different monitors. And then once you had all those programs laid out, 
They wanted to be able to save the configuration of uh, windows and, and restore them. And so we've, uh, we've added that. So it was kind of not, we didn't do it for the, uh, uh, the pandemic, but we kind of added it to our, our products and our, our kind of, uh, bag of uh, bag of tricks. Yeah, I'm not sure there's too many uh, spare bedrooms that would accommodate 45 monitors, but you never know what's, what's out there, right? <laughs> it is kind of crazy. You know, we thought two would be good enough, and then we thought three, and yeah. then, uh, yeah, no, it's it's kind of kind of amazing that, uh, you know, what, uh, what people require, right, to do their jobs these days. So, so Jim, are you going to be a customer of his? Uh, yeah, no, I'm here? salivating. I, I, I need 45 <laughs> monitors in every room. My wife would love that. Vinovation, we, we have a number of different solutions, but, you know, I, I feel, you know, for, for live production, at-home production, uh, Abby West is like our go-to to partner. And I mentioned this SST, so it's a closed system, or at least from the encoder to the decoder. We get the question a lot where I have the encoder in the field. Well, well can I go to GV AMP directly? Can I go to vMix in the cloud or can I go to my website? or can I go to AWS directly? You need uh, software, um, what we call the Stream Hub, to put the, the video back together. Um, I'm sure you guys are, are familiar with bonded cellular or bonded IP, um, and, and probably most of our audience is, but you know, we'll take a, a variable bitrate stream of video, we vary it to the available bandwidth, but then we split it up to uh, 12 different paths you know, eight cellular modems, two LAN connections, Wi-Fi. Uh, the LAN connections could be satellite, they could be fiber, they could be MPLS, or a variety of all the above. So you have to put that all back together, and that's the SST, that's proprietary. But our system needs to survive in a multi-vendor world, in a multi-protocol world. So it is very important that the, the, the Abbey West Stream Hub receiver and we call it a hub because it's not only a receiver it's a transcoder it's an encoder we have sdi outputs we also have uh, uh up to 16 ip outputs and that lends itself very nicely uh uh simpty 2110 is on the roadmap uh ndi we're in beta that that'll be released before the end of the year uh we have hooks for srt so we could have an srt ip output that will go to the GV AMP ecosystem or go to uh, v, uh, vMix system. SRT is kind of uh, uh, the de facto standard for a lot of things. It works well through public internet. The real challenge is something like SRT or even RIST wouldn't be robust enough uh, over cellular. Cellular is, is, is horrible. It, it, it's changing latencies, unpredictable bandwidth. Um, we, we also have RTMP out or HLS out, uh, even just simple transport over IP. Uh, Dante, a, a customer asked us recently, you know, do you, are you going to have hooks for uh, Dante audio? And it's on the roadmap for next year to have a, a Dante uh, capability. So all that is very important. So all of us vendors can play nice together. Uh, Robert wants to sell you the whole system, cameras included. Many of our customers, Robert, are, are using the, the GV AMP uh, ecosystem to do their, their switching. So, Well, that's a good segue over to Robert. Yeah. And, you know, that's actually one thing that it's, 
I know we didn't plan it this way, but I, I actually really like about this um, this panel that we have is we do work with Jim and a lot of his products. We also work with Ian and a lot of their products with our media asset management system because Grass Valley also has editors and things like that. And a lot of our customers who have their computers and the edit workstations at their facility, but they want their editors to work from home. We've been working together with, with Ian and his company to kind of make this solutions work. So it's, I think it's really interesting to see how um, by having multiple vendors work together is how we're actually getting our customers to succeed. And, you know, we've been playing a lot more friendly with a lot of other people. And I think it's required moving, uh, moving forward that that's how we do. Um, I think one of the biggest things we're going to see in the future is the move, not the complete move, but a, a, a substantial move away from a CapEx where I'm going to spend millions of dollars in integrated hardware to more of an OpEx model. Uh, we have customers and we have, you know, I'll just uh, use a switcher, for example, where if you need a switcher that can do any production out there, I mean, the, the world's largest switcher with the most amount of inputs, the most amount of MEs, the most amount of outputs is a Grass Valley switcher. That has its place. But also what we're seeing with a lot of remote production is the customers want to spin up a, a, a switching platform to just do four or five or six cameras, something they can spin up, use, and spin down. So be able to take... Um, you know, what we've traditionally done in hardware, move it into software is, it, you know, so we're also taking it from a CapEx model to an OpEx model is really important. But video is really hard to do in software. It's incredibly high bandwidth. It takes a ton of memory. It takes a ton of compute. Like if you want to do a simple DVE, if you actually look at the amount of math that goes into doing a DVE on a 1080p signal, it's actually substantial. So doing video switching, doing video processing in a cloud or in a software environment um, maxes out everything. You know, we look at what PCIe bandwidth has available today, you know, in a standard server, we can max it out to NVIDIA very easily. You look at how much compute sits in an AWS or Azure um, compute node, we max it out very quickly, both on the PCI bus and also the networking infrastructure that goes between multiple nodes. So we're limited today in what we can do in terms of video switching and video processing in the cloud. Can we do it? Yes. Can we do it to accommodate a lot of people's workflows? Yes. Can we do it to accommodate everybody's workflows? Absolutely not. But as compute gets well, faster, as compute gets cheaper, as memory gets more bandwidth in the PCIe bus, as storage gets cheaper, as the, the, the market will evolve as it has been, the ability to do more and more um, intensive processing in the cloud or in software will become available. So where we're seeing now is we're going to address small to medium-sized workflows in a pure software environment. So we're talking AMP, you know, whether that's on a private data center or whether that's in a um, uh, AWS or Azure or something. There is things we can do now. Um, every month or two as hardware gets upgraded and as the data centers get more compute, we can do more. So, you know, we look out, you know, three, four, five years, a lot of what we can do today that requires hardware can be done in software very shortly in the future. So this kind of gives you a very graceful progression from a CapEx model where you're buying a ton of hardware now to an OpEx model in the future, but it also allows you to add the features and functionalities as the software allows. Now, the great part is, is if you need to do the peak stuff or you need to do the big productions, we could still do that in hardware. You know, it's not like this hardware is going away. It's not like FPGAs just cease to exist. So what we can do is we can wrap those hardware-based solutions, you know, whether it's a switcher or whether it's a camera or a processor, up-down cross-converter, whatever those happen to be, 
that we need that capacity for today, we can wrap it around a software interface to be able to get it to the home or get it to the data center. Again, that puts us back in this hybrid model. So that's going to be the future that we actually, I think the industry got pushed into way faster this year than I think everybody felt comfortable with. Uh, but we're seeing that hybrid models work. We're seeing that software models work in certain workflows. And we're already seeing that software models will be able to grow in the future to handle much larger workflow requirements. That, that makes a lot of sense. So Ian, uh, obviously you've dealt a lot with pure virtual systems and uh, I assume that you've also dabbled perhaps a little bit in some of the, uh, the hybrid uh, arena, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, an endless a set of tasks. So, you know, if I think of uh, companies like uh, Grass Valley with their requests on us to make sure that their users have that video editorial experience they expect uh, from, you know, we've been doing 1080p displays at high frame rates for many, many years, but now these days it's 4K displays and, uh, you know, the, the remote workflow historically excluded the finishing work where you have HDR and 10 and 12 bit uh, color for for desktops, but that's now a new need. Uh, you know, Netflix are all doing uh, HDR type workflows and so production houses need to be set up for that. Um, and so the protocol that on us means more pixels, more bandwidth. Uh, we were fortunate that we had started a project last year called auto offload for our PCOVIP protocol. Historically, you know, we supported our color accurate uh, remote desktop, which is what we were known for um, at a bit of a bandwidth premium. Um, but that way you could get that exact colors that um, an artist would, or a editor would be seeing on the desktop there, you could get it remotely. We also supported um, with our relationship with NVIDIA, H.264 video encoding of desktops, which gave you great bandwidth and WAN efficiency, but not quite the, the accuracy of the desktop. And earlier this year, we released, uh, fortunately, and so it, you know, IT would have had to switch manually between the one mode or the other, depending on the users. Now we have the protocol switching automatically between that very low bandwidth WAN use case. If people are using things like cellular or um, far away or low, you know, very low bandwidth endpoints, all the way up to that high color accuracy. And now the push is towards 4K and 4K high frame rates. You know, in our industry, that's up to 60 frames per second uh, with animation and these types of workloads. Um, and then coming HDR and 10 bit. And then the other one, I think it's already been mentioned a few times, things like SDI, which are, you know, can be remoted as a video stream today, but now people want that clean feed, uh, which is typically your third over the shoulder review monitor, which you would have at a local uh, edit bay. You want that to be part of your remote desktop. So a third channel that just takes your original feed along with the remote desktop and synchronized. So you need the timing, you need the audio, uh, you know, we've, we've done, we do stereo audio, but we've got a lot of pressure to do 5171 and Atmos type uh, audio. So there's, you know, on us, there's a lot of codec work just to, to get audio uh, better synchronized with video. We have synchronization today, but people need that frame accurate synchronization, which you're used to on the front end production side, the post-production one to two. Um, the, the, the extra peripherals that are coming in, um, you know, Wacom tablets is a, we work closely with Wacom to terminate the endpoints so that on long latency networks, artists don't get a, um, and, and content editors are using these Wacom devices too, to get that highly interactive experience, even if they're on a long network. So more, more work we have ahead of us to, to make that work over longer distances and uh, worse networks. Although I think we're all 
lucky that I think a lot of investment is going to continue and accelerate into the network itself. And I think that will make all of our lives on this panel uh, easier. So, so Richard, talking about desktops, um, you know, do people have the equipment in their homes that they need in order to, uh, to run some of these applications? Or are, are you seeing a, a big upgrade uh, path being needed? Or, or how, how, does, how do we solve that problem? In terms of, of networks or in terms of- Well, in like, terms uh, of both. I mean, you know, the, the, end, the end user equipment, the, uh, the networks feeding those users, and then the, the software tools and, and other, you know, technologies. How do, we, how do we bring that, you know, full performance experience into somebody's home? Yeah, I, I really think we're, we're kind of at the mercy of, uh, you know, the ISPs and the, uh, the connection that you can get over the, uh, you know, over the internet, at least for, you know, unless you're, you're going to be, people are going to be willing to set up their own, their own types of networks at, at home. But, but I think, uh, you know, it, it varies, but I mean, fiber to the home does exist. I mean, I, I do have it at my, uh, you know, at, at my house and you can get higher grades of, uh, of service, but frankly, it's going to, it's going to vary. So I think we all have to, we're, we're somewhat hostage to that, but, um, you know, I think people um, in the broadcast industry and really all industries are, are going to have to look at that and, and to see whether they're willing to make an investment to, uh, to improve the, uh, improve, improve the network. But, you know, like Ian was saying, what we've done is, um, you know, made our, our products somewhat configurable and tolerable, you know, about the, the network, right? And now that's something we've, uh, we've invested in over the years, right? That our products work really well on a, on a high-speed LAN and work, you know, well on a, on a WAN. And obviously, if, if you're at home, right, you're hostage to the connection that, that you, uh, you have, but, but we've, uh, you know, invested in different ways to configure the, our, uh, our products to work from home. We've even done kind of maybe, you know, somewhat crazy things like, like put in non-color modes or, or black and white modes. And we have had people over the years who have worked over, you know, telephone modems that, mm. you know, if you're in a really stressed environment and, and situation that you can at least get access, even though you don't have, uh, you know, that much of a, uh, that much of a, that much of a, of a connection, you know, in terms of the users on the user's end, right? So historically IT has been a, a big customer of ours, you know, accessing and supporting equipment in the data center and their tool of choice was the, uh, was the laptop, right? Or the, or the PC, so our our protocols have have supported those uh, those devices, and we we made use of the uh, the GPUs right to to provide uh, you know good performance. And luckily, laptops and PCs are are pretty amazing um, devices, right? Given given the money that we uh, that that we pay for, so um, you know for IT and for for broadcast for broadcast engineering and People working from home, they they can do their work with a uh, with a laptop. And then uh, maybe four or five years ago, we came out with our our user station, right, which is really tuned specifically for our uh, our our uh, you know we built in a 
CPU and a GPU and enough resources to to do a really optimized job there for our um, for our customers. So that's you know in terms of the users, and that's what we uh, that's what we support. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So anybody else want to talk about that that whole you know desktop versus um, you know bandwidth conundrum? You know how are we going to you know, make sure that our, our users that 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 ha that need access to this, you know, high-end equipment that you all are producing. Um, you know, how do we, you know, upgrade them? How do we get them to the point where, you know, these tools are really useful at, at home? Well, uh, so Wes, um, the you know our ecosystem is. I'm just talking about the Avi West ecosystem right now. The the uh, when someone needs to remote in or. Uh, Vinovation, we're the master distributor in the U.S. for for Abbey West, uh, and with that comes the responsibility of, of first line support 24/7. And uh, the Abbey West, whether you're logging into an encoder remotely or the Stream Hub uh, receiver physically in master control or in the cloud, all their web interfaces are very light. Um, they don't require a lot of bandwidth, and they're I don't know how familiar you are with like website or web GUI interfaces. It's responsive. So uh, whether I'm uh, one of my technicians is out to dinner with the family and, and he receives a tech support call or, or uh, uh, request a support ticket is opened, um, uh, anyone on our team can log in from their small screen on their phone. You might have to do a little bit more scrolling to get to the information you want, but every everything that would be on a big screen is folded into the smaller screen and you can scroll and get to it. So there's nothing you can't do uh, from your phone, uh, a tablet uh, or, or an Android, basically any browser, any device that has a browser, you can control it. Uh, so from that that regard, um, uh, uh, the Abbey West part of the ecosystem is very easy to, to, to work with. So let's kind of bring this home. You know, let, let's talk about uh, things that we've seen, things that we've uh, envisioned for the future. You know, a few of you mentioned the whole idea of some existing trends were, were getting accelerated uh, by the lockdown. I mean, we, we've gotten some good news about uh, vaccines recently. Hopefully they'll get approved and start getting dis distributed. Um, do you see us going back to our old way of doing things? Or if not, what, what's what's going to be different about working for a broadcaster in uh, 2021 versus working for a broadcaster in, uh, in 2019? Uh, Robert, you want to kick that off? Do I see things going back to the way they were? No. Simple as that. But I think there's a lot that we are losing by not having a lot of people in the same room being able to collaborate and be able to kind of work together and learn off of each other and, and things like that. You know, we, uh, what what's really happened this year is there's been, the technology we're using today to, to do remote productions has been around for a while, but the amount of risk that a broadcaster was willing to take just wasn't there to justify jumping in. You know, that, that, you know, you look at things like esports and things like that, they've been doing these style of remote productions for five or 10 years, but they're also not talking about the money that you do on Monday Night Football. You know, we're talking significantly less, but now actually esports is getting those kind of ratings. They're catching up, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this, this technology is, the, the, the ability to do these workflows has been around for a while. So the broadcasters, 
inhibition to risk, which is entirely warranted, uh, has kept it from accelerating. This year, we've forced the adaptation of more risk into our workflows. Um, so that part I don't think is going to change. I think that the fact that engineers that are flexible and aggressive and willing to come up with an idea and test it and bring it to air won't change because we've verified that that uh, is there. But definitely the concepts of having collaborative environments where we can all work together definitely has um, some add to it. And I'll just talk personally. I'm not even going to talk about broadcast, for example. You know, Grass Valley is a very large company. You know, I've got 400 engineers all around the world. And how I keep up with technology, because you know, technology is changing so fast, is by talking to our engineers. It's, you know, it used to be by going to our Grass Valley, California office, because that's where I'm based out of, and sitting down with our hardware engineers saying, hey, what's up? What's going on? And I learned something from them. Or, you know, if I happen to be in one of our offices or meeting with, you know, some of our engineers at a trade show, I'm able to sit next to them, talk to them, leech off of them, kind of pick their brains and that kind of stuff. You know, we, we haven't had that environment. So I think as soon as we can, we'll, we'll see this, you know, these collaborative environments come back. But I think the industry's willingness to take risk um, and mitigate that risk with testing, mitigate that risk with products that have a history of working, but still make the risk for trying new workflows. We won't go back to the way of saying, no, that's not, you know, the, I've always hated the words of, we're not going to do that because this is how we've always done it. Mm -hmm. We haven't been able to say those words for nine months. And I think we're probably able to finally say we've deleted that largely out of our industry. <laughs> um, and I think that's going to really be a very good progressive ele element for us moving forward. Ian, how about you? Yeah, I would say uh, two of the risks that Robert's talking about are user experience and uh, security from our point of view. Uh, that were, you know, things that were holding technologies that are known, holding them back from being deployed at scale. And user experience is a tough one. You know, the video editorial industries has very tough requirements. Remote protocols, by definition, favor interactivity over um, frame delivery because that's the more important criteria. So, you know, we've added controls that can better balance that for video artists, video editors, so that they can at one time play back, play stream, frame smoothly, but at other times they get that higher interactivity. So um, I think the, the broadcast studios are now uh, seeing that the flexibility that they're offering their employees is highly valued and people will take a compromise on interactivity and performance to get that flexibility. I'm 100% that we're going to go back to some hybrid model where, uh, and the, all the technologies need to support this, where you have some users remote and some users in, on a, on prem and the tools and collaboration needs to support that in a really you know, positive fashion. You know, we have editors, we, I can't examples where we have a production house in the UK with artists either on the island of Mauritius or here in Canada. So, you know, transcontinental stuff. Um, I think people value that, but then they also want to have performance on site and they want to have that whole thing secure. So it's going to be an exciting future. I think it will. Richard, did you want to comment on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I generally agree with um, Ian and Robert, and I think in the pandemic, you know, all of us were forced to act very, very quickly, right? And we we did the best that we we could with the tools that we we had, or we could we could get, uh, you know, we could get our get our hands on. Um, I think in the future we can we can learn from that and uh, and adapt, and we can uh, do a better job uh, planning. Right. Um, 
that definitely, you know, I think we've all learned from this. Companies have have learned learned from it, right? I think uh, we have more flexibility in our our future in terms of you know where people are, where they where they work, how we can work together, and in general. We're all more cognizant of this being a you know a virtual world, and you know if we need to be together, we 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 can be together, right? I mean, like so certainly we've seen it, um, you know, in our company, like with uh, with a lot of people like like me, right? Product management, you know, marketing, and we're we're probably kind of okay working from home, but in terms of engineering, they really need that that collaboration and need to be together and that's hard to recreate in a in a virtual world. I think it'll be the same thing in in broadcast. Certain things you want people to get to be together either for collaboration or innovation or or even performance. Other things, you know, can be can be more flexible, right? And with the tools that that you uh, that that you have and and you know people responding to this environment, you know, there'll be a lot more flexibility in terms of where people where people are where they can work work together right we've seen a lot of requests even before the pandemic for for support for remote workers support for remote facilities right your IT person may not be on site they may not be from your from your company right you also have to work with with consultants you may work with people globally so i think you know, all of that is is in the mix, and we're providing tools to to make that possible. So I, I think it is, you know, bright that this has been very uh, very tough for for all of us. But you know, we've uh, we've kept the show uh, going, and we'll learn from it, and we'll do better better in the uh, in the, in the future. And there'll be more more flexibility, and uh, you know, we better ways of of working. Well, I certainly hope so. Jim, any closing comments from you? Yeah, so I, I totally agree with Robert, Ian, and Richard. Um, um, you know, I, I, I see the future as, as a hybrid approach. Um, Vinovation, we've always been promoting at-home production or Remy production in a centralized location. And to the, for, for the large part, PGA is doing that. I'm sure they have certain operators working from home. Um, 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 uh, Mark Steuben, I, 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 I exchanged some funny emails with him recently, and I said, how are things going? He says, uh, do you know of a way to protect 130 orchestra musicians in an orchestra pit? Because he works for the, uh, the, the, the Met. Um, you know, so the, uh, the modern control room now, uh, or the, the post-COVID control room has all plexiglass everywhere. And there's there's uh, procedures. You know, if you have a temperature, you stay home. Um, so back in January, uh, I wrote a thought leadership piece for the uh, the broadcast engineering extra of TV Tech, and it came out in February just as things were breaking. And one of the concepts we were promoting with at home production was take. Uh, 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 a big element of live reality TV in sports is instant replay. Uh, many of our customers will use EVS. Uh, I don't, I'm sure Robert, you have a Grass Valley equivalent of, of replay, whatever that is. Um, Everts has theirs, Every, everyone has them, uh, new tech. Uh, so just take an EVS operator. So you do uh, uh, a basketball game in LA 
So you put that EVS operator on a plane, you, you get them a hotel room, um, uh, you got to pay them per diem for their food. Uh, they do that, that one basketball game, or maybe there's a series of basketball games over the weekend, but they can only do one event per day or maybe one event per trip. You know, if it's the Super Bowl, they're only doing one event. Um, now, what I was proposing in January or what we've been proposing for quite a while is what if that knowledge worker, that skilled worker worked from a centralized location and he did uh, uh, an early afternoon ball game on the East Coast, uh, then maybe he did a late afternoon ball game on the East Coast, then, then a, uh, a, an afternoon game on the West Coast where this same skilled worker works at the master control he reports to every day. Now with COVID, he goes where he knows there's COVID protocols. He's within his pod of workers. So, you know, they isolate, uh, you know, different crews on different shifts. So there's no cross-contamination of COVID. But now this, this individual worker can do more than one event a day, uh, certainly multiple events a week, um, working from a, 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 a common master control. And then as Ian and, and Robert and Richard alluded to, they still can collaborate, but in a safe environment. Uh, so so uh, that's part of the, the savings. And then, um, you know, I'm not looking forward to, I have flown when I've had to during, the, during this lockdown, but, you know, I'm washing my hands, uh, bathing in, in, in uh, hand sanitizer. Um, um, you, you know, employers don't want that liability of, of, of demanding their workers, you need to get in the plane rent a car, get in a dirty hotel room, uh, uh, be in a, in, in, a, in a germ infested airplane. So I think these technologies, the silver lining is this is saving a tremendous amount of money. And uh, we can do more programs, we can do uh, maybe uh, 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 the, another lower tier of programming, you know, take the Super Bowl and professional sports. Now, we, we can use this technology for NCAA sports, college sports. Uh, we even have customers using our tech for high school sports and football. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like your, your message is uh, we're saving lives, we're saving money, and we're, uh, we're, we're getting more done with the same amount of resources. I think that's a, a pretty uh, positive note to end on, Jim. All right, so let's, uh, let, let's just uh, recap here. We had uh, Robert Erickson, who is the Strategic Account Manager, uh, for sports and venues, Grass Valley. Thank you, Robert. I actually really appreciate it. It's great to be able to have uh, conversations with you and Ian and Richard and Jim. It's, um, you know, we all come from very different parts of the industry. So it's great to be able to kind of share those experiences and kind of stuff that has worked and has and have a glimpse of where we're going. I like it. Great. Then we had uh, Richard Dominic from, who's the director of product management for Raritan. Thank you, Richard. Yes, thank you, Wes. Thank you, Robert, Ian, and Jim. This was uh, great. It's great to hear what uh, leading leading companies are doing. Are all pitching in to uh, you know save save the world here and uh, right help things going forward. And we have uh, Ian Main, technical marketing principal for Teradici. Thanks, Wes and uh, Robert, Richard, uh, Jim. It was really a pleasure to see that. There's lots of other companies facing pretty much the same challenges as we are. And uh, I think we're all excited about uh, taking these on and making it a more technical 
uh, area for our end consumers. Thank you. And uh, Jim, uh, Jim Chiquetta, CTO and co-founder of Vidovation. Thank you, Jim. Hey, thanks, Wes. Uh, thanks for putting together this uh, diverse panel. It's a lot of fun. It's a pleasure meeting Robert, Ian, and Richard. And I, th I think I'll speak for all of us. Uh, uh, we really uh, uh, love doing our part, saving lives and saving costs. The coin your phrase, Wes. All saving right. lives and saving costs. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, thank you all, gentlemen, and uh, have a great uh, afternoon. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see you again on a on a future, hopefully, uh, virtual event, as well as a, a, a few events in real life, maybe in 2021. Yes. I'm looking forward yeah, to that. Great. All right. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay. Thanks, Take care. Thanks,